0: Welcome back, my fellow creatives, to Story Cuppings, where we take a sip of a particular piece of fiction, this month being the month of the fantastic, weird and wonder. Uh, The fiction we will be sipping today is a fantasy novel called The Midnight Bargain by C.L. Polk. So for all my picky readers and working writers out there, let's take a look at the first few pages. For the first chapter is 20 some pages long. So we're going to just look at the first few pages and see if this is a cup we wanna finish drinking or if we just wanna set this cup back down and go next please. So let's open up, take a look at this first chapter. First page, first paragraph. The carriage drew closer to bookseller's row and Beatrice Claiborne drew in a hopeful breath before she cast her spell. Well, I have to admit that's a good first sentence. I I am highly appreciating the sense of place, sense of person, and in that first sentence we also get the sense of fantasy. The carriage, the idea of a carriage, gives us a sense of time to visualize. Booksellers row, we're getting a sense of an urban environment of commerce, of niche bookshops as opposed to modern day, and the sense of a female protagonist already yearning for something with that hopeful breath. So we have already a sense of aspiration, of ambition, and the fact that she's the one casting a spell. So we have a sense of magic, and the fact that she is utilizing magic that makes us wonder as readers, is this a normal everyday thing or is this unique to this person? What's going on? So that first sentence does entice us to go forward. Let's continue reading. Head high, spine straight, she hid her hands in her pockets and curled her fingers into mystic signs as the fiacre jostled over green cobblestones. She had been in Bendleton three days, and while it's elegant buildings and clean streets were the prettiest trap anyone could step into. Beatrice would have given anything to be somewhere else, anywhere but here at the beginning of bargaining season. Pause again. So we have a sense of an elsewhere in that we in our current society here, we do not typically hear of something like bargaining season. So already we have some terminology that is unique to Beatrice's world. And it also sounds like bargaining season isn't something we want to be a part of. So we are also wondering why on earth Beatrice has to be a part of this bargaining season. And the fact that she is referring to this town as a trap. We are getting a sense of little bit of menace, a foreboding, because nobody wants to be caught in a trap. So what's going on? Let's let's continue reading. She breathed out the seeking tendrils of her spell, touching each of the shop fronts. If a miracle rushed over her skin and prickled at her ears, but there was nothing, not a glimmer, not even an itch. They passed the Rook's Tower books, P.T. and Williams and Sons, and the celebrated House of Verdue, which filled a full third of a block with all its volumes. Beatrice let out a sigh. No miracle, no freedom, no hope. But when they rounded the corner from Booksellers Road to a narrow gray lane with no name, Beatrice's spell bloomed in response. There, a grimoire! There was no way to know what it contained, but she smiled up at the sky as she pulled up pulled on the bell next to her seat. Driver, stop! She slid forward on the Fiacre's padded seat, ready to jump into the street by herself. Clara, can you complete the fitting for me? Miss Beatrice, you mustn't! Clara clutched at Beatrice's wrist. It should be you. And we continue this conversation a little bit about the importance of her being in a dress for meeting someone. Now, I want to pause here because the next few pages are, they balance a lot of exposition and movement in this moment for Beatrice. Now, I and many other folks who enjoy reading and writing alike, The term exposition dump is nothing... It's a term we don't want to hear put to our stories uh, as writers. And as readers, we get bored with exposition dumps very quickly. We tend to breeze over them to see, all right, when is something going to start happening again? Now, I'm not going to call these first... How far did I get? Seven... 16 pages? I am not going to call them an exposition dump because that is not appropriate for what Polk is doing here. There is a consistently paced movement of Beatrice into this bookshop to find this grimoire that she needs. Polk, understandably, needs readers to understand why this is important and so poke is trying to balance inserting explanation for with world building so exposition with action in the scene this is something many of us work at in our stories where we have to try and at least give readers some sense of what is going on or why it's like this as the characters are doing it because the characters are accustomed to this world this they know they don't need to really explain anything because they have grown up in it but we as readers need to understand what's going on so what poke did is poke is having beatrice lament the world as it is not lament like she's whining but there is very much a voice of oh whoa that this is how things are and that's how we are learning about the world is beatrice <sighs> lamenting how women don't get to just be mages they either are well here let let me get to a place where that is explained. So uh, Beatrice is looking for a specific book. The book is a grimoire, and the book, that grimoire, helps teach a user of magic a certain kind of spell, and one never knows what what each grimoire will contain until you find it. So Beatrice is on the lookout for this grimoire in this particular bookshop, and she enters the bookshop and is trying to browse without the bookseller noticing, because booksellers often don't realize they have a grimoire in their shop. So I'll start up here on page nine. It was here! But it wouldn't do to be too hasty to follow the pull of her senses toward the stack where the volume rested. Its spine bearing an author name like John Eslin Churchman or J. C. Everworth or perhaps E. James Curtfield. The authors always bore those initials on all of the books in their in her modest collection, stored away from curious eyes. The clerk might wonder at how she knew exactly where to find the book she wanted in all this jumble. She browsed through literature, in history, and even in the occult sections, where other patrons would eye her with disapproval, because the realm of magic was not suitable territory for a woman of a certain youth. Just thinking of her exclusion made Beatrice's scalp heat. For women, magic was the solitary pursuit of widows and crones, not for the woman whose most noble usefulness was still intact. The inner doors of the chapter house were barred to her, while a man with the right connections could elevate himself through admittance and education among his fellow magicians. Anyone with the talent could see the aura of sorcery shining from Beatrice's head, all the better to produce more magicians for the next generation. Oh, how she hated it, to be reduced to such a common capability, her magic untrained until some year in her twilight, finally allowed to pursue the only path she cared for. She would not, and so she sought out the works of J.E.C., who was not a man at all, but a sorceress, just like her, who had published a multitude of volumes critics dismissed as incomprehensible. And they were, to anyone who didn't know the key. But Beatrice had it by heart. And I'll pause here. Because that is where, you know, we, as you can see, we are getting a lot of exposition about the society mixed with Beatrice's lament here about the state of women in her society. Now, I think... What Polk did works to a point. And I'm not <laughs> and I'm not saying no, no exposition in chapter one, just throw people in and hope they figure it out, because that's not fair. But when I saw how long this first chapter is, because it's again, this first chapter, this is almost 30 pages. And as a picky reader, I'm thinking, do I really want to spend that much time getting to know what's going on? I want to just get into it. <laughs> and but as a as a writer, I understand that desire for the slow burn to pace and intrigue and and weave that web of unknown to entice readers to get into the society, to wander and step by step into the world. So a long first chapter could work very well. So perhaps in my particular situation, I am, I I would prefer maybe that the world building just happens a little later rather than having so much exposition now. Because, I'm not going to sound very, (laughs) I'm sure all these pauses are making me sound like I know what I'm talking about, (laughs) but I guess to me, what I'm feeling as I read these opening pages is that we cannot just follow a woman who really wants to find something because that something is what she has been looking for for so long. We also have to have all this explanation about she is different than other people who don't, who are not okay with, no, let me rephrase that. Um, Beatrice is not like other girls there. that's That's the, in essence of a lot of the exposition here. She is not like other girls because she actually wants to just be a magician and not bargain, as the bargaining season is, vie for a husband. And then thereby lose her magic. She doesn't want to do that. And we are getting a lot of that over these pages on how, no, she's not like other girls. She cares about her magic. Other girls are fine just getting married. And it's, I don't I don't know if that was Poke's intent or not, and I honestly don't know if that was Beatrice's intent or not. But it just—it it very much sounds like I know I'm not like other girls without really understanding if other girls are feeling that way. I, mm, it, it, there was something a little off-putting there. Now I will say something I did like about Poke's opening pages, and then I'll wrap up because I'm trying to keep these podcasts under twenty minutes one thing i did like is how she has created or utilized um the a sense of voice a sense of style to make us feel like we are reading something that is period and yet the language and the terminology and um, just the word choices are not so far gone that we would not understand what is being communicated, and I think it does. It takes a special, a special kind of writer and a special kind of voice to create a period-sounding story that is also timeless. I mean, Jane Austen comes to mind. There, there is so much in, in Jane Austen. I. Didn't like her until a few years ago and i can read her and enjoy and i know i understand what's going on i mean but that is those are stories that are pretty old <laughs> by by standards of today's readers i you know there are many who would not have the patience for the language and what is interesting too is the language here in this these opening pages there is a moment where Beatrice has found the grimoire and she's holding it in her hand but there are two other people looking for the same book and because they are of higher class it is expected of Beatrice to simply hand it over and the conversation is a unique one and we are hearing in you know Beatrice's thoughts as she is trying to as she put it um in that this is a dance you know when it comes to this conversation and utilizing uh, conversation to try and still take a stand to try and compromise and in the end one still must admit defeat even though there was never any real battle by any outward appearance it's just two women and a man talking. And yet this was a true duel over this grimoire. Um, How, let me see if there's one spot I can just share with you to kind of uh, show you what I am talking about. Um, So, Here, um, so Beatrice has the book, and the other woman would like it, and she is saying, Oh, this is my brother, Yanth. I see you admire the travelogues of J.E. Churchman. His telling of faraway places enchants me, Beatrice said. And the woman continues, that's a rare account of churchman's talking about the magical coast where Aunt and I spent a happy childhood. So she's dropping the hints she wants the book. And so Beatrice tries to respond appropriately. It hurts me to hear of your longing for your home. I have never seen the coast, but I have heard that it is a wonderful place. You are lucky to live in such a place as your childhood's world. I wish I knew more about it, thereby staking that she wants to hold this book. And the man steps in, who is the brother of the other woman, and says, you know, it's clear you both want this book. I propose a solution. And his sister says, there is only one copy. What solution could there be? And he says, oh, you could read it together. And he's proposing that, you know, Beatrice come visit them, which would require a an invitation from the sister, which Beatrice knows is not going to be sending any sort of invitation. But it's very polite conversation. But clearly there are other intentions. And I, I really dug how Polk utilized the art of conversation as weaponry, in a sense, which fits the period. It fits those, uh, again, with Jane Austen, the barbed words that can cut, that fits perfectly with this time that the Midnight Bargain is set in. Now, am I going to keep sipping? I think I'll sip a little more, see how the rest of the chapter plays out. But again, I, I I love seeing how we are in action. And it's hard to get in action where so much establishment has to happen first. So we'll see. I, I might try a little more sipping. I know uh, a very good fellow indie author and friend, S.G. Higby, wrote uh, a complete book review of Midnight, uh, for Midnight Bargain. And I'll make sure I share a link of that book review on my website. Uh, jeanleesworld.com. So I hope you check that out and see if this is a cup you want to finish as well. But until next week, my friends, read on, share on, and write on. Thank you and see you next week.